Bless you, buddy. Love you, Good morning. You look marvelous, darling. Marvelous. Great to be here. Wasn't that a nice piece they put together there? That was outstanding. You have a great video department and great music team. Man, that song a while ago, that that was a beautiful song. I, I'm just amazed to see all the the gifts that God's given this church. I thought the drummer was pretty good myself. I don't know why you got that bulletproof glass around him up there. But. <laughs> <laughs> you thought he's pretty good. Are you happy? Oh, come on. Are you happy? Aren't you glad you're alive today? It's a beautiful day. And I'm excited to be here. It's great to be back. And Pastor Stan and I go back so many years. How come you got older and your wife didn't? <laughs> ah, sorry, Stan. That's not fair. Uh, but just to be here and see my friend. Thanks for picking me up last night at the airport. Most pastors send somebody. You came. That meant a lot to me. You know, you probably wouldn't have thought of that. But for me, it's, it's a personal touch. And uh, see how God's blessing this church and your beautiful new location and all here. I've been here one time before in this facility, so it's really great. Uh, some of us are together for the first time. You're looking me over, and I'm looking you over. You're wondering what happened to me, and I was wondering how you were doing. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy sitting on a stool this morning. Actually, I probably don't have to. I feel pretty good, but I've had back cramps lately that I don't know why they're doing that, but... Isn't that nice? I get to sit and all of you will stand while I speak. <laughs> that way somebody's doing something. Uh, it's just uh, special for me. I, I wish my wife were here today, but she's picking me up this afternoon in Denver and I speak there tonight. It's been an interesting two weeks. I've been in, uh, I think it's been 11 countries, six states, uh, 14 airports in uh, 14 days. Isn't that amazing? I just the Lord's really given me strength. I've been, uh, it all started out with an invitation from the Prime Minister of Laos, which is a uh, communist country. And I don't know why they don't just call him dictator. <laughs> Prime Minister sounds more civilized. But anyway, <laughs> I went and uh, they want me to do in Laos what we did in Vietnam in, uh, since 1993. Uh, with an investment of $14.7 million, we were able to build the first and only cardiac care unit in the nation that has a catheterization lab. And we installed a Toshiba digital imaging cath lab, and we do heart stents, pacemakers, angiogram, angioplasties. We uh, save about 300 lives a year on an average since 19, uh, pardon me, since the year 2000. And we installed it starting in 1999 and finished it in 2000. And it was the largest investment in a project I've ever done in my life. And we did it for cash. This church helped pay that bill. And uh, the product has been one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. I was injured in 1969 during the war. Got out of the hospital in 71. Went back in 74 and 75 preaching the gospel. I was in Vietnam when the communists took the country and got out with only my life. I lost everything I had there for the second time. Isn't that amazing? And uh, I didn't go back again until 1993. And it was all under communism at that time. And built the cath lab. And on October the 20th, this last October 20th, not this month, I'm sorry, not this last year, but the year before, October 20th. So it's been a year and three weeks, whatever. I spoke in Vietnam for the dedication of the new and glorious human right of freedom of religion. I spoke to the Communist Party Central Committee of the nation. I had communists by the dozens sitting in front of me, and I preached legally the gospel of Jesus Christ, explaining to them how to be born again, and closed it with, you should have killed me when you had the chance. <laughs> but I'm back. <laughs> and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. I, I uh, phoned home, which you can do from Vietnam on a cell phone. I phoned home and I told Brenda, I said, baby, I just won the war. You know, I can't speak for another veteran. I can't speak for my country on that one. But for Dave Reaver, all the pain, 
all the years of suffering. That day in the hospital when I looked in a mirror and saw what was left in my face and thought Brenda would never love me and would certainly leave me. And I tried to take my life. I pulled the wrong tube, which is fine. I got hungry. Uh, <laughs> that's very embarrassing when you're trying to kill yourself. You say, oh, I think I'll plug it back in. I'll eat now and die later. Uh, or the day in Brook Army Medical Center in San Antonio, Texas, when it hurt so bad I put my face in the pillow and screamed. And when I lifted my head to take a breath, my face came off and was stuck to the pillowcase. That day paid for itself on October 20th. And I really am back. I'm back stronger than I've ever been in my life. I've never had so much fun, never worked this hard, never felt more perfectly in the absolute dead center bullseye of the will of God in my life. I, it's like every step I take, God is, my footprint is there before I put my foot down. I knew God wanted me right there at that moment in time, and it's working. And while I went to Laos to discuss doing in Laos what they've asked me to come, I'm praying about how to handle it all because it's very expensive, and I do have a lot of very wealthy friends that I look to on occasions like that and say, look, I need half a million bucks. I need this. I need that. Sometimes they can step up and do it. Sometimes they can't, and I can never commit to a project like that until I know I have the backing, so... I haven't even started, just got back, I haven't even started to look and don't know what I can do yet. But while I was there in the emergency room, which absolutely looks like a country bumpkin's veterinary, looks like a place to treat dogs. It's the most, it was horrible. And I looked over and there's a man laying there and I noticed it didn't look like he's breathing. I looked up his heart monitor and it's flat. I said, is that supposed to be flat like that? And the guy looked at me. He turned around so that for me to talk to him, I had to have my back to the, because he knew the guy was dead. And I, he said something in Laotian, and some people went over, and they put one of those things on, and they squeezed, 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 type of air. Didn't even bother to do CPR, just doing that. And then they went and got a defibrillator, and put it on him, and the batteries were dead. So was he. And the Lord just spoke to me, and he said, that's Laos. They're dead, and nobody cares. Just a little country. Six and a half million people in the entire country. Just Saigon alone has that many, has almost twice that many people in Saigon, Vietnam. And I, it just broke my heart. I don't know what I can do. I don't know if I'm even going to try. I've got my hands so full and you can only feed one baby at a time. And I've got my hands full with working with our warriors. And, but it's, it's quite an experience, I'll tell you that, to have seen that horrible devastation. Then on to Australia and Japan, I was with the Army and the Navy in Japan. A lot of things have happened in my life since I last saw you, Pastor Stan. A lot of things. And they're all wonderful. They're amazing. Uh, I've been downrange. Uh, uh, since I last saw you, I came under attack in, uh, in a town called uh, Fallujah. Uh, no, pardon me, that one was in Basra, which is the southern part of the country. And a suicide bomber got loose and we were hiding in a bunker. My son was with me. I I want to take my son because things in, in, uh, in Iraq is supposed to be calmed down now. And, you know, we, quote, won the war and we're all going to go home happy. Aren't we great? We did good. And the suicide bomber almost killed us. And so we're hiding in a bunker. And then I almost killed myself. I felt down in my, in my cargo pocket of my uniform and, oh, my medication. I forgot to take it. So I took it. I didn't forget. I had taken it. I forgot that I had not forgotten. It gets confusing. It's heart medication, and I overdosed myself on heart medication, which isn't a, it's not a narcotic. It's a blood thinner, and I started bleeding internally, and I didn't know it because you can't feel it. There's no sensation of it. And for the following 36 hours, I thought I had diarrhea, and they were taking me home for the funeral of my mother-in-law. I never got to go. When I, they, they helicoptered me out immediately after they, the suicide bomber attempt, and they Put me on a plane, sent me to Denver. They had to carry me off the plane. They put me in intensive care. Actually, emergency room, which was uh, almost as bad as the one in Laos. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I can just imagine where we're... No, I won't even get into that politics. But uh, doctor said I had six hours. There's a lady, a female doctor, and she came in. She said, I'm sorry, we can't save you. I said, I'm already saved. Yeah, I thought she was kidding. Uh, she said, what? I said, what? What do you mean? She said, well, in six hours at the rate you're bleeding and the rate we can get uh, frozen platelets into you. I said, 
What's a TV dinner got to do with this? I didn't know what a frozen plate meant. It sounded like a TV dinner to me. You know, frozen plate and it's food you eat out of the fridge. And uh, she, she looked at me like, you know, are you on drugs? <laughs> uh, or is there really Dane Bramage? <laughs> Dane Bramage. It's the first service, I know. But listen, I'm proud of you. I, I got to tell you, I, I truly am. I'm really proud of you all because, you know, a lot of first services are like, man, just, you know, do a liturgy and hand out the, the communion. And, uh, but I'm proud of you. Those slackers are coming in that second service. I'm going to tell them what a good program we had this morning. <laughs> so wake them up. Oh, and that hour thing, you did good. Man, that's a, you know, most churches have first service. There's not hardly anybody there. They just do it for old folks. Uh, you're not old. That, y'all are full on your first service. You going to do three soon or what's your plan? You don't know. I tell you what, just put another level up here and we can double our size. And then what we'll do is put a trampoline and I'll jump up, finish, start the sentence, finish it, start another one, finish it. <laughs> That'd be, I have great imagination. I'd never be a pastor. I can see that. Uh, we'd have a hopping good service. But the fact of the matter is, uh, they, she said I was going to die. She said, six hours, we can't get enough blood in you to replace what you're still bleeding out. And then she said, now put these frozen platelets in you and you're probably going to die of a stroke. I said, you know, you're just the bearer of great news. She walked out and as she was going out, I said, I have to go to my mother-in-law's funeral. And she turned around and looked at me and she said, take two caskets. That's what she told me and walked right out the door. I said, you know what? Maybe she's serious. I might need to just, you know, do a couple extra prayers just to be sure I got everything in order. Six hours later, I was still alive. They kept me for three more days to make sure the bleeding had finally come to a stop and I wasn't going to stroke out and doing all these blood tests to get it to the right level. I got out out of the hospital Went straight to the airport, flew to Vietnam, and did that October 20th thing. Isn't that cool? God had a plan for my life, and the devil tried to kill me. He's tried to do that all my career. I tell you, cats envy me. <laughs> I honestly believe that they say, hey, we're supposed to have nine. He's had 12. That's unfair. <laughs> but God has continued to give me the strength, and every time the enemy gives me a hard time, I get a little bit stronger, and my health gets a little better. And I jumped out of a helicopter two years ago in Iraq, and I hit wrong and tore my knee so bad that it, I actually heard it rip. And, oh, it hurt so bad. And I didn't say anything because you don't want to say something when people are dying over there. And I just hurt my knee jumping out of a helicopter. That's not fair. So I didn't say anything, but it got worse and worse. And uh, three months ago, they opened up my knee, cut out the old one, put in a new one. I walk with no pain. I'm back strong. Lost 90 pounds. Now tell me, does God have a plan? And whenever he exercises his plan in your life, you exercise, which is what I did to help. And having a new knee, I feel like I'm better prepared for the future than I've ever been. And that's important for me to tell you that because some of you at my age, at my age, yes, I just, oh, disgusting. Sign up for Medicare. That is so, I turned 65. I hate that. I, you know, I just sighed it and pushed it away. He said, that didn't happen. I'm not there yet. I'm 25, and we're leaving it at that. Because age is just a number. Isn't it? It's just a number. It's, what, it's how this thing works up here. And it's designed to do more than keep my ears from flapping together. That's what a brain's for. Separate your ears and keep your focus. Because you, otherwise, you'd have just one eye. <laughs> I just thought of that. And that's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> But I got a scripture for you, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, it's really a cool reading. I read from my iPhone because it's got great big letters. I am 65, aren't I? Uh, so if you have your iPhones, turn with me. <laughs> if you don't mind, I want you to go to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 20. 2 Samuel. If you have trouble finding that, go to 1 Samuel and turn right, and you'll come to 2 Samuel. I'll give you just a second to find it because it, and that is the Old Testament, by the way. And, all right, you got it? Second Samuel chapter 20, verse 23. It's a really neat reading. I just love this story. And the Lord just showed me this the other day. Uh, I was doing a program for the military, and I used this for my, my subject line. Uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, 
the son of a valiant man of Kibzeel. Aren't you glad you're born in America? I mean, these names, they're killers. Who had done many acts, and he slew two lion-like men of Moab. That's something else right there. They're like lions. And he went down also and slew a lion. So he got to the real subject there. Forget the man. He killed a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. So it's winter time. He's in the snow in a pit with a lion, and he killed it. You know what? That old boy goes bear hunting with a switch, doesn't he? Think about that. This is a true story. Oh, there. Pardon me. And listen to the rest of this. And he slew an Egyptian, a huge man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. But he went down to him with a stick. A walking stick, a staff. So you got this military guy that's got a limp. He's probably been injured in war. Veteran day's coming up, and I thought this would fit. Listen again, he was a huge man, and the Egyptian had a spear in his hand. He went down to him with a stick and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. <laughs> Boy, that's a tough guy, man. But if you read the whole setting, and I hope you will if you have a chance this afternoon or maybe or whatever when the game's over, watch what happens when you read that story. Here's a guy named Jehida from, from Kibzeel, whatever that is, and he's not even listed with the 30 mighty men of David's special forces. He's not even listed with them. He's not known among the mighty men. But if you read on, you know what you discover? He was chosen to be David's personal bodyguard. I have a bodyguard who's a Navy SEAL, and he's from Cambodia. He's a little Cambodian guy. He's only about this tall. They say he can cut your throat and resheath his knife before the first drop of your blood hits the ground. I don't want to find out. <laughs> he's a bad little sucker, and, and he's my bodyguard. Now, I don't need a bodyguard in the U.S. I don't run around with a bodyguard. I'm not that important that anybody wants to kill me that I know of. But whenever I get into these uh, Muslim countries, uh, I'm known to be uh, somewhat belligerent toward radical Islam. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't tolerate it, and I'll speak up about it, and I'll behave in a fashion that probably they don't appreciate. Well, I don't really give a rip, and political correctness does not fit my agenda when I'm working with our military whose legs are blown off, arms are blown off, their memories blasted out of their head by IEDs, and these kids come to me by the hundreds at our ranches in Colorado and Texas, and I have to help put the pieces of their lives together for no apparent reason. These guys are trying to kill our guys, and our people are there to give those people freedom from that stuff from a bloodthirsty generation of Islamists and I don't have patience for them. When mindless amoeba can fly airplanes that can't take, they can't take them off and can't land them, but they can point them into buildings and kill 3,000 people in about 10 minutes, I am extremely non-tolerant. So if that offends you, get over it. I have no time for people that want to just shed blood for no reason. That's the bloodiest people I've ever known in my entire life who are these Islamists. Now, I'm not talking about Islam in general. I'm talking about Islamists. These are those terrorists that in the name of their God want to destroy everybody on the face of the earth. And it's about 1% of Muslim and Islamic people. 1%. But when you consider that 1% out of a billion too, that's a lot of people. And I say right now to every one of you in this room, I love my country. And I make no excuse for standing up against the terrorists that want to destroy it. And I thank you for that support. God bless you. So, with all that said, I am a veteran of a war. And I may not have that big of a limp. I'm over my limp. I got the new knee now. But I bear a lot of scar tissue. And the story behind that scar tissue I can relate to in the reading I just read to you about Jehoiada because I ended up with a stick and I have to walk with that stick as it were. I use that stick. Let me, let me get to the purpose and the point of this. Uh, on July the 26th, and I hate to see, say 1969 when I was injured because when I say 1969, I look at all these young people. There's a lot of young folks in this church, young couples and teenagers. And all. <laughs> I say 1969, they're thinking War of 1812. Well, in 1969, when I was still young, and still am, but on that day, 
uh, a grenade blew six inches from my right ear and it blew off almost half my skin. My hair, my ear, my face, my chest was ripped open. I could see my heart beating. My back was on fire, skin dripping off my arms. My right hand was severed in half. I got one finger that works. These don't work. Make a great mic stand and you can put it wherever you want it. It's a wonderful blessing and a preaching finger. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> on trouble is, Last year I got arthritis or something. It went crooked. Look at that. So it's repent if you're a Republican. Repent if you're a Democrat, left or right, whichever way you want to go. And my left thumb was blown off, and that bothered me because I knew I couldn't hitchhike in Australia. <laughs> they drive on the list. Never mind. I can hitchhike in America, and they take me back where I was. <laughs> if you think that went through, that's hilarious, but we won't go there. And I didn't even have that. That blew off too. They made that out of my hip. And I don't know what it is, a thumb or a hip. I don't suck it. I'll tell you that. I, mean, I just call it a fip and there it is. <laughs> that is really gross, isn't it? But you know what's really cool? I'm talking about being shot up, burned up, blown up, amputated. And you're laughing. Not at me. You're laughing with me. Because there's evidence of what I'm about to say. I'm the living illustration of my own message. There's evidence that I overcame. I beat the devil. I beat him. I overcame. And I laugh because I know I'm laughing my way out of hell and I'm going to laugh my way through those pretty gates because the joy of the Lord is my strength. So laugh. Be happy. Don't worry. Amen. Someone asked me the other day, how do you want to die? I said, huh, you got a gun or something? Like, is this a choice and you're going to fulfill my desire? Who said, I want to die? I don't want to die, but if I'm going to die, I don't want to die quietly all laid out to rest with my hands across my chest and my fingernails have never been so clean. That's a line from Porgy and Bess. It's a musical sick. But it's true for me. I don't want to lay out that way. I don't want to die that way. I don't want to die quietly. I want to fly a plane upside down through a barn, you know. <laughs> I, I want to slide through the pretty gates with blisters on my feet and my hair on fire. Because I went through hell to get there, you know. I, I'm serious. I don't want to die quietly. I want to do something for God. And when I'm gone, people say, it'll take 10 teenagers to fill his shoes. You know, I want to do something as I run toward, race toward the finish line. I want to do something. Now, when I get there... Jesus is laughing. He said, Reaver, come on in here. You character, you had a good time, didn't you? Yes, I've had a good time. It's a great run. Life is so exciting. And I never, ever get bored. And then I come across someone who says, well, I just wish Jesus would give me a ministry. Shut up. How dare you say that to me? There is so much to do. You say, well, what? Open your eyes and see that the harvest is ready. All we got to do is stand up and do it. Well, if he would just tell me. You say, how do you know what God's will is? When you see a need, it's God's will that you fulfill that need. What more do I need to say? You see the hungry, feed them. You see the naked, clothe them. Go to prison for those that are in prison and give them hope for the future in their life. So what is it that gives you a ministry? Do what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did. And that is an ageless opportunity. Everybody in this room has the potential to be a minister. You don't have to have a sheepskin on your wall that says you graduated from some seminary and you're doctor so-and-so. I have a doctorate. They gave it to me. <laughs> it only cost me $14.7 million. I got it for the work I did in Vietnam. Most people pay $70,000 to get a doctorate. So what does it mean? Didn't do one single thing to make my life any better. I was grateful and I appreciated the acknowledgement, but... It didn't make me smarter. And am I going to debate a PhD? Uh-uh. I, I mean, I'm all right. Intellectually, I graduated from high school. I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. <laughs> you got that. That is early in the morning. You did good. Yeah, so, you know, it's not like I'm, uh, you know, America's example for wisdom. Mothers look at me and point to their children. That say to their children, pointing to me, you do good in school or you're going to look like him. <laughs> so I do have value. <laughs> Back to the scripture. On July 26, 1969, the devil took his best shot. 
I know that he tried his best to kill me. And I can list the times in my life that I've been right down to the wire and I know the enemy came in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord lifted up another flood, a greater flood, a bigger flood that pushed him back and kept me here for a reason. I'm not that important. Everybody here has a reason to live. My reason is no greater than your reason. But I've got the mic, so I'm speaking of my experience. And the truth of the matter is, he tried to kill me that day. This wasn't a success by the communists, some little lucky sucker out there shooting at me. Missed my head and hit my hand, and it was holding a white phosphorus hand grenade as I was about to throw it. It blew, and 5,000 degrees of white hot chemical covered my body, and half my skin came off like that. Just like that. Now, I could have laid on the bank of that river and said, life's not fair. I got hurt, and I didn't start this war. It's not my fault, and I'm just going to die. I'm going to eat worms and die. Well, it's backwards. You die, then the worms eat you. (laughs) I could lay there and point at that stick the devil beat me with that day and say he beat me severely around the head and shoulders. Or I could look at that stick, and with that stick, the devil beat me to a bloody burning pulp. But I recognize that that was a weapon. I can crawl over in my smoking hot body. Did you get it? That's funny. I just thought of that. I've never said that in my life. I will keep that line. That is good. Woo! I like that. <laughs> that is funny. Man, I like it. I'm going to send that home to Brenda. I'm going I'm to text her today on the way to the airport. Married to a man. No, that is, that's great. I don't know if I can finish my message now. You know what will happen? Next funeral I'll attend. That will come to my mind. I'll bust out laughing. That ain't right. But I crawled over. I picked up that stick and I said, devil, this war's not over. You come back here. And with the same stick he beat me with, listen to the key word, same. Not just a stick. The same stick he beat me with. That walking cane. That thing he injured me with. I'm going to use that same thing against him. He left me scarred, mutilated, and amputated. I'm going to use those scars, that mutilation, that amputation. I'm going to use that against him. So I speak of, yeah, I got injured, blew my hair off. But you know what? I got my hair back. <laughs> I bought it. It's mine. I've chased it across church parking lots many times on windy days. I've had dogs bring my hairpiece back. You ought to see him chasing it in the high wind. It's hilarious. Stinking mutt. My ear fell off. It's artificial. It fell off. I was preaching in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle and everybody got saved. Say, <laughs> so what's the point? Well, you want to tell me about your last surgery and how bad life's been for you? Everybody gets hurt. That's not the point. It's how you deal with it. That's the point. You can sit around crying about it or you can stand up and use that experience for the purpose of healing in somebody else's life that's going through the same thing you have beaten, the same thing you have accomplished, the same thing you have overcome and it's killing them and your life is a witness to them. What is that? That's taking the stick the devil hit you with and hitting him back with it. That's what this is all about. So you got this wounded veteran named Jehoiada, who's out there killing lions, killing lion like men. He comes across a huge Egyptian. An Egyptian has a spear, and he takes the stick that was once his enemy, is now his friend, helped him get back on his feet, and he took on that huge Egyptian, beat him severely around the head and shoulders, took his spear away from him, killed him with it. Now this is what I call turning tragedy into triumph. This is what I find scriptures saying things like Philippians 12, uh, 1 and verse 12. The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. This is that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purposes. So it doesn't matter how much of a difficult day you have, you never have a Bad day. That day on the bank of the river when that grenade exploded on me was not a bad day. It was tough. It was difficult. But I've used it. And I took that stick and raised it high over my head and said, devil, you come back here. And with that same stick, 
with these mutilations and scars, I have beaten the devil all over the face of the earth with that stick. Get a stick and hit the devil. Give the Lord a clap offering in this house today. Get a stick and hit the devil. I'm not advocating going out here and getting hurt so you can have a testimony. Don't stand in front of a bus so you can get up and tell your story in church someday. I don't like pain. I don't want pain. I don't look for pain. I'm not an advocate for pain. I'm just an apologetics minister on the purpose that pain can be used for. And so I use my experience. You say, well, I don't have one. Been through divorce? Well, you've got an experience. You've got hurt worse than me. I'd rather go through 10 Vietnams than one divorce. I go to Vietnam, get hurt. I get a purple heart. You go to the divorce court, get hurt, and you get a broken heart and a broken dryer. I know how that works. I've seen people, oh, my worst. He got the worst or she got the dryer and it's broke. Life isn't fair. And if you think it is fair, you just got the worst disappointment in life because I will prove to you ultimately it's not fair. The Bible says in this life you will have trouble. In this world you're going to have trouble. Amen? Everybody understand it? But Jesus said, I overcame the world. So if you're listening to me, you understood when I made that statement. They should have killed me when they had the chance because now I'm back. Not with an M16, but I'm back with a John 316. And that's a stick that'll blow your mind. That's a stick that'll take down any enemy you've ever had because greater is he that's in you and he that's in the world. Where do you get that story, Brother Dave, about the stick? How, how do you know that's going to work? Well, I have a recollection that there was a man named Jesus who the devil used a couple of sticks against, put him in the form of a cross, hung him on it, crucified it, and murdered the Son of God. And three days later, he arose again and took that stick, and he's beating the devil all over the face of the earth with it. In the shape of a cross, the very thing that sets us free was the thing that killed him, and he rose above and beyond it. So this idea of a stick works. So on that day in July the 26th, 1969, that was one of the best days of my life. It wasn't easy, but God had a plan. It got worse. People say, that was the, let's don't call it the bad day, mystery. Let's call it one of the most difficult days. The most difficult? No, there was one worse. One more difficult, and that was the day in Japan whenever they thought I was going to die, and they, they answered a request I had. I wanted to see what was left in my face, and they held a mirror over my face, and I saw it. And I knew that she would never love me. We married young. She was 18 years old. 19 years old when I was injured. And I knew that no teenage girl was going to love a freak and a monster. I make Freddy Krueger look handsome. And whenever I looked in that mirror and I saw that with one good eye, I could see I, I knew there was no hope. They walked away and I said, I'm going to save them the trouble. I tried to kill myself and I'm ashamed of that. But I was on drugs for the only time in my life. I've never done a drug ever illegally. Never put a needle in my vein. Never taken a pill to get high. I could probably hallucinate on half dosage of a St. Joseph's aspirin for children. <laughs> and they put morphine in me and they held that mirror there and the mirror started talking to me. I was hallucinating. And the mirror said, kill yourself, you half-headed freak. Your wife's a beautiful teenager. Get out of her misery. They left and I pulled the tube. Tried to kill myself. Wrong tube. And I got hungry. And that's the story of my attempted suicide. And I got over it. And I want to say to you that that being the most difficult day of my life, God had a plan and would not, I think angels were surrounding me, misguided my hand to the wrong tube. I can get over being hungry, but you can't get over being dead. You know, very few exceptions. I hear people who've died and they had bright lights and tunnels and things like that, but I never had that experience. But I was listed killed in action for eight months. They couldn't figure out if I was dead or alive. And I'm in the hospital. They think I'm dead. 34 years later, Department of the Navy discovered I wasn't dead. And they sent two generals and a U.S. Navy SEAL with all my medals that I had never received from Vietnam. And some are pretty stinking impressive. <laughs> I'm a lot more of a hero than I thought. <laughs> I'm no hero at all. I was in the ninth grade, played one down of football. It hurt so bad I quit and joined the band, watched other kids get hurt. <laughs> it is not my nature to go out there and say, hurt me, hit me, make me bleed so I can look good. <laughs> Doesn't help. But I have what I know is the plan of God in my life. And as I come to the conclusion of this message today, I want to just give you a quick story of how God 
does care about you. And if you feel lost in the crowd, I want to tell you, I went to Iraq on one of my many tours. I've done six tours into the war zone, six to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. And on one of the tours to Iraq, I pulled, we got there late at night, and it was midnight in Baghdad. And the little airplane I flew in on was one of the general's planes. And we taxied up and stopped out beside a giant C-130 that you can drive trucks in and stuff like that. It's a big cargo plane. And the ramp was down, and there were two rows of soldiers, one on each side of that ramp. You got the picture in your head? Think about that a minute. What does that look like? Well, they're about to load onto that airplane the body of a young fallen hero who was killed that Thanksgiving morning. And as I got out of the, my little plane and walked over by that cavernous aircraft with lights kind of like these shining down for loading purposes, I looked and they brought on the casket and they set it on a little pedestal there and it was called a Patriot Service and the chaplain was Air Force because he was on an Air Force plane and it's an Air Force chaplain. And he recognized me from some of the programs I do for the Air Force Academy when I lecture there and he was a chaplain there. And he recognized me standing outside the plane. He said, Mr. Reaver, join me. And as I walked up, I looked in the faces of those kids. You know how old they are? Average age, 19. That's the average age of our warriors. It's better than us Vietnam vets, huh, guys? We were average age, 18. That's the average. So you got 17-year-olds in there. Young kids fighting for their country. I looked in their faces and still had blood and mud and spent gunpowder on their faces and little traces of tears dripping off in mud balls. I stepped up behind the casket and the chaplain said, would you pray? And I did. I prayed for his mom and dad. Wouldn't you? Of course you would. I prayed for those warriors standing on that ramp that God would help them understand freedom's not free and every drop of their blood spilled is a thousand people going to be delivered from tyranny. And then it just popped in my head and I prayed. I said, God, somewhere back home is his very best friend who may not get all the information about how his friend died fighting for his men and for our nation. I said, God, send someone to his very best friend. I heard the whine of a Black Hawk engine as it started lighting up and the big blades swishing. I looked out and my general friend was tapping his watch telling me it's time to go. I jumped on that helicopter, took off, did 70 missions into the next month before I got to come back home. And when I came home, I came through Atlanta, and I was so bone-weary, no sleep, and all the emotion and the pain and difficulty and tearing my knees so badly. I just, I just wanted to go home to my mountain home there in Colorado, crawl up in a bed and sleep for 30 days. If I wet the bed, just let me sleep. You know, I just was tired. And I'm sitting in the airport, and the departure time was... Are you ready for this? 11.59. You know when you're tired, little things tick you off. <laughs> I walked up to that counter and I said to the lady, I said, 11.59? Why don't you just say midnight, woman? Midnight. Because you're not leaving until midnight. And she laughed. She thought I was kidding. I was ticked off. And then when she laughed, I realized, you know what? I probably ought to laugh too. And she's probably seen me on TV. That always ticks me off. In the public, I have to be perfect. All I need is some guy said, well, I watched you on TBN last night. Here you are, stone drunk. <laughs> that would be bad, wouldn't it? I can't get out in the world and behave like a sinner. I have to walk this walk every day of my life because I'm an example. You are too. And people are watching you. And whenever I said that, I, I calmed myself down. And I said, yeah, it's funny, but you, you'll still leave at midnight. And she said, no, we'll leave at 11.59. I said, no, you won't. Midnight. <laughs> We left at 3 o'clock the next morning. <laughs> That's the honest God truth. I went across the aisle. They told me she came back out. She went down to open the, the gate up so we could get on the airplane. She came back and said, oh, I'm sorry. We were both wrong. It's going to be 3 o'clock. An instrument problem on the airplane. The initials of the airline were united. <laughs> Just thought you wanted to know. So I'll go across the aisle. It's, it's kind of like out there. It's a little darker, a little cooler. And I thought maybe for a few hours I could sleep. And I sit down. There's a thousand empty seats at Atlanta Hartsfield Airport. A thousand seats, no doubt, empty. No one around. It's the last flight leaving in the evening. And a guy comes up. He doesn't just sit down next to me. He sits down against me. I don't like men touching me. No offense, sir. I'll give a Christian brother a hug. But that holy kiss thing's waiting to the New Jerusalem. We're not doing that here. That's not, that is right out. I always ran when I saw Brother Trask coming. Man, I tell you, he'd, he'd hug you and give you a kiss on the cheek. He's, I guess he's part Italian. They, they do that. And that's fine. But 
not me, okay. And he's up against me. And I pulled my shoulder away and a four-letter word came to my mind and I said it. Dude. <laughs> what do you think I said? That was in your mind, not mine. <laughs> I said, dude. And then I pointed at the empty seats and dude means something else. And I said, dude. And he said, sir, I'm sorry, but I saw your desert boots and your backpack. Are you coming home from the war? And I thought, oh, no, he thinks I'm a, a soldier and we're going to lose this war now. He's old. So I told him what I did, and you've already heard it. And then in courtesy, I said, where are you coming from? You know, you ought to have seatbelts for what I'm about to tell you. He said, I'm coming home from the funeral of my very best friend last month. I said, your very best friend as my hairpiece stood on end? He said, yes, sir. He was killed. I said, in Iraq? He said, yes, sir. Thanksgiving morning? Why, yes, sir. Striker brigade? Whoa, and I noticed he's not touching me now. He's leaning way back. His eyes are this big. Second lieutenant, U.S. Army? He said, mister, who are you? I said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the answer to my own prayer. And I've been sent by the Spirit of God to comfort you. And I told him the rest of the story that I had gleaned during that tour. How he died and when he died. How he saved the life of his platoon. Tears filled his eyes. He said, you can never know what that meant to me. I said, but I'm not through. He said, what? I said, I've got a brand new, very best friend for you if you want to meet him. He said, yes, who? I said, Jesus. What a friend we have in Jesus. And that night, somewhere around two in the morning, a young lieutenant from the United States Air Force on his way to Colorado Springs on the same flight I was on to, for both of us to go home. He was stationed at Peterson Air Force Base. He gave his heart to Jesus because Jesus cares about the individual. Sent me clean around the world, Bubba, to come back for one guy. God didn't care how tired I was. I was on a mission. And that day, I accomplished the mission. Can you stamp mission accomplished across your life? Have the things in life that have hurt you so badly been lost in the melee and you could have used every one of those experiences against the enemy and set other people free? Well, let me encourage you, get a stick and hit the devil. I have a quick little video to show you, and I hope you enjoy this. This is my stick, and I use it against the devil. It's what we do for our warriors. Would you roll that video, please? Thank you.
Isn't that beautiful? What's really beautiful is both ranches are now completed and they are paid for. Give the Lord a clap offer for that. <laughs> paid for. It, uh, it's been, and Pastor, you're welcome to come on up because I'm running just a couple of minutes behind where I wanted to be, but I want to tell you that uh, it's been a $6.5 million project. It's totally debt-free, and we are in the process now of shopping out our third and final ranch because we have three phases, and each ranch has another phase. They go through our program. We are college, uh, university approved with the... Uh, uh, accreditation from the Southern Association of Schools and Colleges, and we can transfer our credits to any university in America. Our, our warriors can go to Harvard and carry 12 hours, a full semester. Isn't that amazing? How God's blessed us. We're part of the uh, Colorado State University system and the Southwestern Assemblies of God University system, so they can go into secular studies or seminary. They almost all go to the seminary. We got them in ministry right now all over the country preaching this very day. Telling their stories, getting a stick and beating the devil with it. Isn't that cool? Here's what, I, there's going to be an offering taken. Pastor's going to give you instructions on how to make out your check. I need to tell you how to spell thousand. That's T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. <laughs> and you know what? I could sure use the help today because tomorrow they arrive at our ranch and we start our program. Because of my tour overseas and because of the horrific schedule, I have not had even five minutes to present the first challenge for their scholarships. We have 12 coming. The Army keeps it small, and they are $2,000 per scholarship, and we don't have a dime against it. So you can help us in a massive way. This week, I have to come up with $24,000 to pay for that, above all of our operational expenses. Thank you for your support. If you don't have any money, I understand that. Don't feel bad. Reach in the pocket of the person next to you. They've got money. <laughs> and that'll, that'll be... Never mind. Uh, pastor's going to take the podium and the mic here, but I want to let you know that out in the foyer, I have my book, Scarred, which has endorsements from Ronald Reagan and Billy Graham. Be pretty tough to get those today, wouldn't it? Uh, also a movie that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association did on my life. Some of you have these items. It's a great movie, rated R, for righteous, no cursing, no nudity. I don't appear naked in that movie, so you can enjoy it. <laughs> Our favorite shirt of all time that says, live your life so the preacher won't have to lie at your funeral. And... Uh, that's available back there. Still the most favorite shirt in America. And a CD of my story that was taped out of uh, Tommy Barnett's church. And then lastly, something brand new. I always wear mine. Mine was made by my medic in Iraq. It's called a survival bracelet. And they're made out of parachute cord. And when you buy one of these, you're helping us with our scholarships. And those of you that do not uh, typically give in a cash form or check form, if you choose to use a credit card, or a uh, bank card, you're welcome to do that. And if you want to contribute, everything contributed above the cost of the material will be, I'll tell pastor, so that he has a full record of everything given at that table. But we usually have thousands of dollars people give on their cards, and you're welcome to do that. But when you buy one of these, and you put that thing on, people say, what is that? Here's your answer. It's a survival bracelet. It's made for the warriors in Iraq and Afghanistan. They hold one end of the cord, we hold the other. And we're pulling them all back home safe and sound. That's our prayer. That's our hope. Inside the package is a little card. You're welcome to write a note to a warrior, a thank you note, an I love you for what you do note, all those things you want to say to a warrior that you never get to. And then leave the card here. Fill it out this morning. Or if you want to, you can mail it to us. But we prefer to have the card now. You don't have to leave any method of getting back to you. You will not be put on a mailing list of any kind unless you choose to. If you want to, you can put your email on there, and then the warrior can contact you and thank you for thanking him. And then you can thank him for thanking you for thanking him. <laughs> you get the message, though, don't you? Start a dialogue, minister and mentor to a warrior downrange. You can do all that so simply with one of these bracelets. Be sure and pick one up for you, all your kids. We brought a lot of them. They really are popular. Thanks for letting me mention all this. Thank you in advance for an offering to help our warriors. My name is Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. <laughs> Thank you.